0: Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast, the number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff, no more vanity metrics, live from India, made for the world. And now your hosts, Yag and Manish.
1: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. This is me, your host, Yagneshwaran Ganesh.
2: And this is me, Manish Nepal.
1: If you look at the world of marketing, you know, we talk of uh, chief marketing officers and uh, chief revenue officers being allies, but very few CMOs actually go on to become CROs. And today we have with us Daryl Prale, who... Uh, was the CMO of Vanilla Soft for almost three years and now has taken up the role of a CRO. Daryl, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, my friend, it's it's dynamite to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. So, Daryl, when I uh, look at your experience over the last um, you know few years or so, you seem to have an eclectic mix you know in in product <laughs> marketing <laughs> yes you know in, in yeah in product marketing in partnerships sales content marketing and you've also been a cro way back in 2006 or 7 um uh, and uh, that was a time uh, when i didn't even know that uh, such a role in the c suite existed so without me stealing your thunder you know can you share a little bit about your journey uh, from a person who wrote code for 5 years to becoming a cmo and now a cro
0: oh my gosh how much time do we have um sure so as you said as you kind of revealed a little bit there my my education is as a computer science guy and I wrote code for upwards of six years if I recall and uh, but they but, the, but there's a there's a precursor there right so this is kind of a sign of things to come so when I finished university I was burnt out of doing computer stuff I was just like oh I've had enough of this I've been doing it all through high school and all through university I'm done. I don't want to do it. And I looked, I asked around and I said, uh, what should I do? Because I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had many people say to me, you should do sales, Daryl, you should do sales. And I'm like, okay. I had no idea what that meant. And so my first job was actually, uh, and it lasted six months before I quit, was selling photocopiers door to door. And I, I went out and I bought a wonderful minivan and uh, and I loaded it up with copiers and I would go to the various industrial malls and, you know, strip malls and whatnot. And I would wear, wear my suit and I'd go knock on all these doors and all these office buildings. And man, did you learn a couple of things? You learned rejection. You learn how to get somebody's attention in a hurry. You learn how mindset matters. Uh, and you learned how to look for clues and signs to pick up on to start a relationship. Um, and then when when, you got, when they you know yelled at you, you just dust your legs off and off you went to the next one. And I did that for six months and I said, this sucks. I'm tired of the rejection. And it eventually does get to you. And I went back to coding and did it for six years. And it took me, after four years, I was tired of coding already because I was getting, as I matured, I was changing, right? We all do that. We all change. And I was getting less and less able to focus on the screen. So it took me a couple more years until I found the right job. And that was as a sales engineer. So now I was able to use my coding skills to be technical, but to help in the sales process. And I actually changed countries. I moved from Canada to the US to take that job. And then I went uh, very quickly, they promoted me. They said, hey, you're really good at the sales engineer thing. What about product management? Never done it. Well, it's pretty close. So off I went, did that for a while. And they said, hey, we have to launch this product. What do you think about product marketing? Never done it. Well, now you're at product management. It's pretty close. So off I did that. And then uh, eventually, we decided my wife and I were going to move back to Canada to have our first child, and I needed to find a job. And then I found a marketing job, which is a logical exception from product marketing. To uh, but it was a technical; it was a database company, so it used all of my coding skills and my sales engineering skills. So as much as it sounds eclectic, there was actually a logical rhythm there. And then from there, you know, you just climb the ladder. You know, marketing manager, marketing director, marketing VP. Um, and, and then before you know it, you're a sales and marketing VP or a CRO, um, and then you bop back and forth. And uh, eventually what I decided to do was I said, okay, I've done them all. I like marketing best, and that's what I specialized in. And I had probably done that for a bunch of the last 10 years uh, when the CRO opportunity came available to me. And it's amazing how it's changed from you know, 10, 15 years ago when it was just some new concept that nobody was doing to now, to now, you know, back then you would say CRO, but you were, you were, you were a VP of sales. That's what you were. And you, and everything you did, you was biased towards sales where now, now you can't be biased towards sales. Now you need to understand marketing. You need to understand product. You need to understand sales and you better, you better, and you need to understand partners because you need to know how to move all the pieces on the board. And that's what a CRO does. That was my path. Whew. Long-winded story. Sorry, it took so long.
1: No, it's it's amazing. In fact, uh, you know today's conversation is all about uh, uh, the career path, right? Um, so here's one thing that I really wanted to ask. Uh, in the early part of your career, you know, while you were a marketing manager, nothing held you back from applying for VP of marketing roles, and you did that. And um, you know, where, in fact, uh, you got a director of marketing uh, role with a promise to be made a VP of marketing in one year. But uh, of course, while you were already carrying out those responsibilities in your managerial roles previously, how did you actually convince someone to shortlist your profile? Because your title was still a manager and, uh, you know, it becomes quite a bit, you know, for, we people don't look at manager roles into that. So how did you manage to convince?
0: Okay, so this is, <laughs> you may or may not like this answer. Um, so I will share that my wife still looks at me to this day and she says, I don't know how you do what you do. In other words, I couldn't have done what you did. So I did a couple of things. Uh, In those days, because we had a young family, I knew I was, uh, my wife and I had made a decision that I was going to work and she was going to stay at home at least for the first five or six years minimum to get her kids into school. Uh, So that meant I was the only income. So that meant I was motivated to move up the the ladder faster and make more money. That was because I was it. And so how we did that was a couple of things. Uh, number one, I said yes to any opportunity, no matter where it was located. And there's two schools of thoughts here, folks. One is you can stick yourself with the same company and have faith that they will promote you. That's one school of thought. I was impatient, so I was looking to jump jobs, jump employers every 18 months, every two years, roughly, um, to go to that next opportunity. So that's the first thing I was allowing myself to do. And my wife supported me in that one. The second thing I did, though, that which is a little bit controversial, was I misrepresented some of my skills. That's right. That's a marketing term, folks. I misrepresented some of my skills. So on LinkedIn, on my CV, if I was, say, a manager, but I've been a manager for a while, I might say that I was a manager, but now I was recently promoted to director. And and here's where it gets a little questionable. And I do not recommend you do this, but this is what I did. I'm being forthright and transparent. I only ever adjusted my CV in such a fashion that I thought I could be successful. And that's why what I said to my wife. I said, "Listen, just because I'm not a director, I, you know, I've got to, I carry the budget, I carry the responsibility, I carry the staff, you know, yada yada yada. Uh, so if I have more responsibility and more staff and, and a slightly broader job definition, can I do those additional things? And when I looked at them, I was pretty confident I could. But I also had self confidence in myself because I was motivated again. Remember, kids and all, and I said." What I don't know, I am humble enough to admit I don't know, and I will very quickly go and research what it takes to succeed in those skill sets, whether that be by developing relationships with subject matter experts or reading or hiring a private coach or what have you. I was willing to invest in myself, so I parked my ego and I was willing to invest in myself. So therefore, when I would go to the job interview, they would say, okay, Daryl, I see you're a director at this company. Uh, We want to hire you as a director here, but in six months' time or a year, make you a VP. Is that good? Absolutely. So I made sure I could succeed. That's one path. I don't recommend that. If you want to be seen, if you want to go from a manager to director, you want to be considered for a director, all right? What I strongly encourage you to do today is look at all the directors that are having success and just rip them off because they've figured it out. What are they doing? Are they, look at their profiles, look at their CVs, look at their their public brand. Are they out there speaking? Are they uh, writing content? Are they quoted in the press? Are they appearing on podcasts? Uh, Whatever they're doing, you should be doing. Act like the role you want to be, and then brand yourself so that when I'm looking at this, I can include a cover letter that says, listen, yes, I'm a manager today, but I'm a manager at this company, and you want a director level at that company, and ideally it's easiest when you go from a bigger company to a smaller company because you can then say, I'm a, and a manager at this bigger company is, is like the same thing as a director at a smaller company because I work with bigger budgets. I have more staff. I have more liability. I have more exposure. Maybe it's, maybe you're a publicly traded company. Therefore you have public accounting rules. So you understand the numbers, you understand everything else. And by the way, look at my CV or look at my LinkedIn profile. Here are all my featured content where I've spoken, where I've been featured, where I've been quoted. Isn't that the person you're going for? And this is the kicker. You can get me and make me a director at your company and I'll be less money than if you were to hire a director, making them a director. Plus, a director to a director is a lateral move if you're hiring that position where I am motivated to succeed because if I fail, I'm screwed and I'm all about winning. So the whole point of that cover letter, of packaging yourself up, and of being making a, establishing a personal connection with the hiring committee, HR, hiring manager, et cetera, by reaching out one-on-one, having those conversations with them, so that when they do the background check on you, they talk to your colleagues, they look at your profile, they listen to your content, they read your content, they're going to go, damn, here's an opportunity for us to get an affordable director, but this person's on a trajectory now the downside to the hiring manager is they're going to know they've only got you for a short period of time, but most companies are okay with that because they want you for that small window, two years, um, and and they will and they and they'll save money in the process. So it's a win-win. It's an understood. Did I answer your question at all?
1: Oh, absolutely, it does. You know, it's it's an amazing story.
2: And uh, Daryl, talking about the difficulty or the fun of breaking into the role of director of marketing, your role as a door-to-door salesman in your past life is also really very intriguing. And I want to uh, pick up on that a little bit because uh, I was a budding journalist many moons ago, which is not too different from being a door-to-door salesman because I've had my shares of doors being slammed on my face, figuratively speaking or being snubbed for just trying to do my job right and uh, not to mention I also identified as an introvert which made those rejections even more demoralizing. Now I can't even begin to imagine what you must have gone through when you as the salesman that you were you had to cold call a prospect or engage with people in a trade booth. Uh, So my question to you is for people who are just like us, who are trying to break into the field of sales and marketing that requires ninja-level skills of talking to customers day in and day out, what are some key skills that they need to develop? Not just to pay attention to you, but um, perhaps also to trust you and be interested in buying your product.
0: Oh, my. There is a brilliant question. How much time do we have in this one? Holy smokes. Okay, so... You know, sales, I'm just going to be blunt, guys. Sales is a bitch. It's it's a thankless occupation. Whoever is in the sales occupation, you earn and deserve every penny you're paid and probably a whole heck of a lot more. Yes, you're going to have a lot of great customers, but you do have a lot of bad customers. It is what it is. So the first piece of advice I would give you is based on that alone, As I would say, you need to adopt a mindset that you're going to have failures. So. What does that mean? This is one of the things I see people struggle with all the time, where they don't deal well. They say, you're gonna be rejected, and they're like, yeah, we know, and then they go into it thinking they're okay, and they, and they, 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 they stumble, and you could see it works away at them. Instead, the best example I can say is you have got to believe in your product, and if they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting what you're offering. It's not you. It's what you're offering. And it's, you know, we all have free will. So that's their choice to reject what you're offering. Silly people, if only you knew what I knew, but hey, that's okay. I'm gonna go sell your neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor and they're gonna hear about it and you will call me back in six months time. And what so what that is, that's a mindset. Now, again, like we've talked about here, I'm an introvert, you know. When you went to school in grade school, I was the guy that nobody hung out with. It wasn't until grade 10, that I finally started making some really friends because I figured out humor. Humor was going to be my ticket. If I could make people laugh, then I could actually start relationships with them. So for me, I was a slow learner, maybe 15 years old, and I eventually figured it out. So that's the first part. My point being is if someone like me, who isn't used to talking to people all through their childhood, can go out and have a mindset, so can you. But you have to be Intentional. you have to say, "Screw you in your head. This is your loss, junior. And away you go. It truly is a mindset. The second thing is, you need to look for quick ways to connect with people. all right. so the the best example I can give to you that's a real example is imagine there's an individual whom you have a romantic interest in, and you're trying to get their attention and you because you want to establish you know, go on a date or two or three or who knows. We don't think of that as sales, but in fact, it is sales. You're selling yourself to them. But because we don't think of it as sales, it's a different, sto- in a different story. What do we do in that situation? What do we do is we look for commonalities. Oh, look, we both like to, you know, you know, watch e-games. or We both like to uh, go biking on the trails. Uh, we both like to, you know, we're both, uh, we like social causes, whatever it might be. And that becomes the starting point for a conversation. So in sales, you want to look for commonalities. So when I was going door to door, believe it or not, the first thing I would do is I entered somebody's room, an office, maybe it's a mechanic, for example, is I would look on the wall and I would look for the photo. It might be them with their family, it might be them fishing the big catch. It might be an award. Who the heck knows? And that would become, I would just go right away. I wouldn't even say, hey, I'm Daryl. I'd say, that's a big-ass fish. Who caught? Did you catch that? And then I would start that conversation on that common eye. Even, you know, sometimes it's not – I'm not a big fisher person, but I would. I, I know enough about fishing that I can get by. And, uh, you know, what bait did you use? Where were you? How long did that take you? How big was it? Wow. All right. And so I'm sorry. I didn't catch your name. Oh, my name's Daryl. Uh, and then I'm looking for the rule, I'm looking for a photocopier. So in, the, in this case today, we were looking for common technology they might have or we'll do some research on the prospect so we can see if there's a need here. I don't see a copy here. Um, do you mind if I ask, when the client wants a copy of their receipt, how do you do that? Do you handwrite it out twice, are you using carbons, uh, You just print it off twice, Like, well, how are you doing that? Okay, so what if I could reduce your cost there a little bit? So. But the point is, you're starting off with trust. You're starting off with a relationship that you have context and relevance. So mindset, commonality, like when you're dating, um, and then boldness. You know, just like, you know, we were having a conversation before we went live with this recording, that when I'm publicly speaking, I'm loud. But when I'm not publicly speaking, I'm a lot more like this. I'm a lot more laid back. So my point is, when I'm publicly speaking, which is not my comfort zone, I adopt a persona. And that persona, again, it relates back to the mindset. So there's one more thing you really need to know. If you don't know this, you're, well, maybe two things. One thing is you need to know your product, your offering, your service, whatever it might be. If you don't know it, you're going to fail. You need to spend time talking to the people at your company to find out why your product is so great because you need to tell stories about it. Um, and the second thing is, you need to spend some time talking to existing customers about what their life is like. So, in my example, if I'm going to hit a strip mall full of mechanics, hopefully, I've taken some time out to talk to a mechanic previously. Just five, ten minutes, picking their brain on what their day is like, what what and what they are frustrated by, and and you know how their income is, and all that kind of stuff. So now, now I know my product. Now I know what they're like, the persona. Now, I'm look. I found a common launching point, that photo on the wall, so I can have a conversation. I've got the right mindset of that. They say, no, it's not going to affect me. And now I'm going to adopt my own, you know, my, my game day, you know, uh, who I am and say, okay, let's do this. You do all that and you're going to kick ass. And you know what's pretty funny about that? Everything I just said is everything you would probably do, you should do for a job interview so i'll leave you that one
2: and uh i would also say that whatever you said also applies for maybe picking up a girl at a bar because uh, the commonality point <laughs> the commonality point that you talked about is exactly i think the kind of dating tips single men would need right now a single woman would need right now i i appreciate that point lovely <laughs> um Tell us a little bit about your organizational structure at Vanilla Soft Daryl. For example, what are the rules that report into you and what kind of goals and objectives have you set for them?
0: All right, that's a, a quick and dirty one, but it's an easy one. So as you indicated, I was previously the chief marketing officer, but when I was the CMO, what did we have? We had a VP of sales and we had the CMO and we both reported to the CEO. That was the structure, full stop. And the VP of sales had the STRs and the AEs, whereas I, I had a combination in the marketing world of a combination of a bunch of contractors and full-time employees doing a whole bunch of different stuff, social media, content, product marketing, et cetera. But really, it was just two, VP of sales and CMO. When I took over the job, it was made very clear to me by my CEO. He goes, Daryl, I expect you to backfill the head of sales because I replaced the head of sales. I expect you to backfill the head of sales and I expect you to backfill yourself with the head of marketing. And more importantly, I need you to be the CRO, not the VP of sales, not the VP of marketing. You're going to backfill those roles. I need you to be the CRO. So that's his way. What he's really saying is And I thought it was really profound and impressive that he said this, was that I need you to be the individual that is strategic, that sees the big picture, that plays arbiter, that understands that sometimes one team gets more love than another team, that sometimes you'll move money or bodies from one team over to the other team because that's what we need. The VP of sales will never give up people. The the VP of marketing will never give up money or people. The CRO is the only person who can do that. And I need you to have a holistic view. You cannot bias yourself towards one premise or another. So, Daryl, one of the reasons you have this job is because you used to do sales multiple times. So we think you can be neutral. Even though you're coming from a marketing role, we think you can be neutral. So that's our expectation. And that's what we did. So the first thing I did was I said, okay, I've got all these people now. And I've got all this accountability for a revenue number. So let's start from scratch, if you will, and say, how do I structure the team to hit that number? Because I don't view it as sales and marketing. I view it as revenue. And I've got these resources who are available to me to help generate revenue. So what I did was I open positions for ahead of marketing and ahead of sales that's the first thing we did. second thing I did was I created two new teams that did not exist before. One of those teams was the revenue operations team. so that took kind of the that took the operations people from uh, sales and from marketing and put them together so now they're working as one. So, we're not having redundancy, we're not having duplication, and now we get more out of them. Uh, And now they're looking at again as revenue, not as sales and marketing. And then, so that's the one team I made. The second team I made was sales enablement. I needed my marketing, I'm sorry, I needed my sales team to be equipped with the knowledge and the technology and the training to be successful at selling. My assumption is we're going to give the sales reps enough leads, but If they got somebody on the phone, would they know what to say? If they had an objection, would they know how to respond? If they needed to move a a deal forward, would they know what content to use? If they were talking to uh, an ops person versus somebody in the C-suite versus somebody in IT, would they know how to adapt their message? So that's why we made sales enablement. That's their whole job. And then... Then I struggled, this is the last one I struggled with. I said, does product marketing report to my head of marketing, or does product marketing report direct to me? And I thought about that one for weeks. Ultimately, what I decided to do was have it report direct to me as the CRO, because product marketing spans both the sales and the marketing side. Product marketing is the one talking to the customers, making the content to further the sale, talking to the industry analysts, educating the sales reps on new features from R&D, et cetera. So I thought that needed to be reporting to me so they weren't biased or influenced by the sales kingdom or the marketing kingdom. Long-term, that may go back into marketing. But right now, that's what I did. So that's the organization. We have sales enablement, revenue ops, marketing, sales, and product marketing that all report up to the CRO.
2: That's very interesting. And how how old was uh, the company when you joined Vanilla Soft as, first as a CMO and then later as a CRO?
0: So the company was started, uh, <laughs> there's some discussion about was it 2004, or 2005? Let's just say it was 2005. Uh, so when I joined, the company would have been 12 years old which is an interesting age, right? And I'll get to that in a second. Now they're 15 years old. But the company was started uh, and meant to be the entire time a profitable business entity. So it took a different approach than the let's go and raise a whole bunch of VC money and go to market as fast as possible. It was always meant to be profitable. That allowed the company to experience multiple economic downturns and keep on going because it wasn't like nobody was buying anymore. We were already running a profitable business as a SaaS company. Our subscriptions always were more than our expenses. Therefore, life is good. The downside of that approach was uh, you didn't grow as fast. And a couple other competitors came into the space around 2014, 2015 and raised a boatload of money. My two biggest competitors today have raised almost $300 million each. One of them is value; their valuation is over a billion dollars. I have not. I have raised less than 1% of that. So it's a pro and a con approach. That's also why they brought me in because they recognize that okay, after 12 years and the market is maturing, money's going into the category, now we need to go and make a lot of noise. So when they recruited me, one of the reasons they recruited me was twofold. One, they wanted somebody who wasn't afraid to go and maybe, for lack of a better word, go gorilla, to you know to get the attention of people because they're an established company. So this is all about scaling now and becoming a growth company as opposed to a startup. But the second part is, and this is the part I find so compelling, they actually hired me specifically. Because they want the CEO, wanted an executive on the team that would challenge them and push back. You can imagine with 12 years of mostly the same leadership team, they had almost a shorthand. They knew what everybody was thinking. They could just do it. And everybody was on a little bit of an autopilot because they just knew each other. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that what they were doing was right. So they needed somebody to come in and shake everybody up and say, I disagree and why aren't we doing this? Uh, but of course, say it with nice, nice, nice Canadian you know approach, and uh, so uh, so we didn't hurt anybody's feelings. So that was why they hired me, because uh, I would argue that's you know if they if you want it nice, I would not have been your hired the person that you would have hired, because one thing I've learned over the years myself is I have the most success when I'm direct with people as an executive or as an employee. Now you don't be direct and mean. Uh, what you're wearing today is ugly. Change your clothes. That's mean. You'd say, hmm, what you're wearing today is interesting. Did you consider any other outfits? Let's work on that together. I think I I have an outfit in mind that might get you better results, especially if you're trying to pick up women. So, you you know, my direct flavor doesn't work with everybody, but I do find it saves time. So that's the age of the company. That's when I came on. Interesting. Yeah. The
2: reason I asked you that question is because I and Yarg uh, strongly believe that uh, not CRO is a role that's not fit for every company. And uh, no.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, thank you for clarifying that they had a VP of sales before. Now, interesting, I was their first CMO, so before that they had a a head of of marketing, VP of marketing. Uh, So, so I was their first CMO, and then they went to the first CRO. So that was at you know uh, twelve and at fifteen. And and only the CEO is the only other C-level officer we have in this company because you're right. It's dependent upon the size. And that's what, to your point, when I see companies that are like 10, 20, 25 people and they have a CRO, I'm like, you don't have a CRO. You've got a head of sales. A CRO is stupid. You're not ready for a CRO, but that's just my opinion.
2: Sure. And uh, since we are in the topic of uh, B2B sales and marketing, uh, let us take a side step and go for a quick break. Um, and uh, give a shout out to our sponsor Jest.is. Jest as many of you might already know is a marketing content stream that sits in your google chrome browser as a new tab extension. It's a website where you can either discover or submit high quality articles, podcasts, infographics, videos and ebooks. It's AI-powered algorithm allows you to handpick your own personalized content feed that is specific to your taste.
1: And uh, as marketers, you know, Manish and I have uh, used Zest quite a bit and also uh, getting this feedback from our listeners, you guys, you tend to use it as well. So if you want to, uh, you know, promote your high quality content to an elite community of marketers, we have some good news for you. Just sign up at zest.is content boost and get a $75 off on your first boost just by letting them know that you heard it from the ABM Conversations podcast. All right, Daryl. So here's something, you know, I'm I'm sure uh, it's going to resonate with you. So when I was first hired as the head of marketing a few years back, um, you know, I had to deliver for stakeholders from um, 10 different countries, you know, across Europe, Middle East, North America, and LATAM. And prior to that role, um, very similar to you, I was a product marketing associate with a different company, right? So the first thing that I knew as I got into this organization, I knew that I was going to be judged. So the first thing that I did was, uh, you know, pretty much talk to every stakeholder across regions uh, with whom the CEO talks to get to understand their expectations from the region, the revenue, the cultural no-nos. For example, say, uh, you know, in, in Dubai, for example, I got to know that uh, when we were conducting a flagship uh, conference, I got to know that, uh, you know, taking a photograph of uh, Arabic woman speaker uh, was a strict no-no. But here's, uh, you know, here's the key question that I have for you. Uh, putting the cultural aspects aside, you now to get to the C suite in marketing, what could be a decent career path? You know, should someone have spent more time in product marketing, or is it more time in demand gen, or is it sales? Uh, of course, you know, one cannot have all the skills. So, what could be a decent yardstick there?
0: So, it kind of depends on what your goal is, right? So, if your goal is an IP play and um, and you want to be acquired, you want to do that over and over again. Then having the product marketing background uh, is hands down where you should be because it's all about the IP and, and you know identifying uh, minimum viable you know fit and uh, and just go to market and make messaging and analysts and everything else. If your goal is to actually generate a lot of revenue, become a category leader where then you're, if, if you want to have an exit strategy of some sort, is the assumption here, uh, where the multiples will consequently be much higher than I would contend your expertise should be on the demand gen side. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's all about making the right leads, having the right visibility to feed the sales machine so you can actually scale and hit your revenue targets. Um, that it's not to say that one is more important than another. It's just, it's kind of like, you know, where do you want to specialize? What I would contend though, is on their own, neither one of them will probably get you to be a a C-suite. You need some cross pollination with other areas, even if it's nominal. So what do I mean by that? You know, if you're a demand gen expert Who's got a little bit of product or a little bit of revenue ops, especially the rev ops, you know, processes and technology, that's huge. If you're a product marketer but you got a little bit of demand gen or again a little bit of revenue ops, just a little bit, so you understand the bigger picture and how all the pieces work together, uh, and you understand how to work with other departments, then you're gonna you're gonna be a rock star. If you have a, a comms background chances are you're never going to be in the C-suite other than as a comms role. So not necessarily a chief marketing officer, but maybe a chief communications officer. And that would be maybe a large publicly traded company. Um, But if you see yourself wanting to be a CMO, comms on their own will never, ever, ever get you there. That's just the world according to Daryl. Having sales is a bonus. But candidly, if you want to be a CMO, Just understanding how to work with sales. And that is as simple as understanding how the sales team is paid, understanding how your counterpart, your VP of sales, your chief revenue officer is compensated, where their incentives are, their motivation are, because that's going to drive their behavior. And then sitting down with them, like you just said, where you had a one-on-one with all the stakeholders, you have a one-on-one with your head of sales, and you agree together on what a service level agreement is between the two of you. Um, you know, if I generate a lead, you will follow up with it within one hour. Uh, but in return, I guarantee the lead will meet these following criteria. And when I give you that lead, if it meet doesn't meet the criteria, you can reject it. But if it does meet it, then you have to make, you know, seven touches in seven days because it's all about persistency. And if you don't do that, then I can go to the CEO and I can stamp my feet and the CEO will yell at you. So that service level agreement is really, really critical. So... That's kind of my answer. I've got a little bit of both. If if I was forced into a corner to say pick one, I would pick the man, Jen. Awesome, and uh,
2: Daryl. I hope you don't mind me scratching the same topic a little bit more because the majority of our listeners for the AVM Conversations podcast are B two B marketers with an average of uh, five to eight years of experience, who we can safely assume have uh, career aspirations to become either VP of marketing, CMOs, or CROs, just like you. So for the benefit of those listeners, and also because you have donned all these three roles, can you tell us the difference between the roles of a VP of sales, a CRO versus a CMO, and uh, perhaps maybe give us uh,
0: a little bit of background on where do these roles intersect? Sure. So the one thing you need to understand, if it's not abundantly clear to you, is that The higher up you go in the organization, so from a specialist to maybe a manager to a director to a VP to a C-level, is you're getting, the higher up you go, the more strategic you're getting and the less hands-on you're getting. Conversely, going down, the more hands-on you're getting. So that's the first starting point. If a VP of sales is very much hands-on in ensuring the team is hitting the right activity numbers, uh, that they have the right Outcomes, X number demos per week, for example, the right conversion ratios as they progress through the deal, can adequately forecast and be fairly accurate, and can manage expectations uh, with the executive team. That's what a VP of sales is, but they're very much hands-on. And then of course, as you get more and more down to a director or a sales manager, they're very hands-on, right? They're sitting with you side by side, coaching you one-on-one every, every single day. So the 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 head of the VP of sales is is inclined that way. The VP of sales is going to be interested in, in their sales tech, whether that be you know your CRM or a sales engagement platform as an example, and they don't care about anything else. The VP of sales. Doesn't really care about marketing, other than to make sure that they have the content and they have quality leads. That's all they really care. So that's the VP of sales. It's probably sixty percent, sixty-five percent tactical, thirty-five percent strategic. the uh, The VP of marketing is very much the same way. Now, when you get it to become a CMO, the the fundamental difference between a VP of marketing and a CMO is that a CMO has just really got kind of more experience. It sounds lame but they've got more experience. you know. They're comfortable talking on stage. They're comfortable talking to an investor. They're comfortable talking to an, an industry analyst. Uh, they're also very comfortable talking finance at the CMO level. And the CMO is going to be very cognizant of the other departments and how they affect them. So for example, where a VP of marketing is focused just on getting a product launch or just on doing this campaign, a CMO is going to say, as a C-level officer, I see a bigger picture here. I need to know if customer support is got a or, or or the customer success team has a high net promoter score because if they don't, that's affecting my brand, and that may result in negative uh, reviews on a G two or a Capterra or a Google, and I'm in charge of the entire customer experience, so that's bad. A uh, a VP of marketing is less inclined to think that way. When you become the CRO, even though they're both C-levels, the CMO, CRO, the CRO really is that next all-trumping position because the CMO will never own sales. The CMO will just be a bigger and better, you know, badass, more badass marketer. Where a CRO owns marketing and sales and often customer success. So the CRO is where the buck stops. The CEO and the board will go to the CRO every single time and say, why is our churn down? How can we speed up our customer acquisition timelines? How can we reduce our overall cost of acquisition? You'll notice all of these kind of things span all of those roles, right? How can we, if I talk about churn, Churn is a customer success thing primarily, but it starts with making sure that what they were promised by marketing and what they experienced with sales as they went through this, the funnel is actually what was delivered by customer success so that they don't you know, bail on us 90 days or 180 days or a year later. Uh, when they look at cost of acquisition, again, that's spanning. How do we make marketing more efficient and how do we make sales more efficient? How do we reduce the time? How do we do it at a lower cost? So... That's the cost of acquisition. So the CRO is looking at the big, big, big picture. The CRO is the one who's going to explain to the board exactly how the sales strategy, the, or should I say the revenue, whatever milestones you might have, which is profitability, market share, new customers, how that strategy is going to work from end to end, whereas the VP of sales or VP of marketing or CMO will only speak to their portion of it. So when there's one throat to choke, it's the CRO. Uh, Finally, they're going to look at the CRO to be the arbiter to make the the decision that's in the best interest of the company, no matter which department is affected. This is interesting because you're going to have some companies that are product-centric. You're going to have some companies that are sales-centric. The CRO says, I don't care. I'm doing what's right. Biases be damned. And that's all we're doing. So- that's the difference between the various roles in a nutshell. You're, that's when you're the CRO is the ultimate strategic person. The only thing left beyond that is the CEO job. And the CEO job, the difference between a CEO and a CRO is they worry a little more a about the the bottom line on the money, profitability, etc. And they are the ones who own the vision and the strategy. They may also be the ones who are going to champion any fundraising. Or any public relations you're doing, if you're a publicly traded company, that's the fundamental difference. So again, you're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Did that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Darrell. I'm I'm loving this conversation. Uh, so let me also uh, poke in a, a hypothetical situation here. Let's say you were uh, going in to hire uh, somebody for the role of a CRO. You know what would you look for? You know what would make someone an ideal candidate for uh, say a CRO role?
0: Oh my. Okay. So the CRO role, they truly need both marketing and sales experience to be effective. Many people will argue with me on that one. I'm not going to fight that fight today. I would say five years ago, we could have that fight. Fine. You can be sales and you can learn marketing. Today, that's not the case. Today, you need to have both, especially because how people buy Has dramatically changed. And where that handoff is in the sales funnel has dramatically changed. Uh, And what I mean by that is it used to be, you know, marketing was the top third, sales was the bottom two thirds. Then it became kind of 50 50, you know, top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. And now it's almost two thirds marketing, one third sales. So you need somebody who understands both disciplines in a big ass way. I can't say that emphatically enough. Uh, So that way they can make informed decisions about what's right, as opposed to fall back on their own human biases, which is built by their own experiences. So that's the first part. If I was looking for attributes on a CRO, okay, uh, they have got to understand the mediums. The brand is no longer just the company brand. The brand is the personal brand. Does this individual understand that their name their reputation is directly connected to the corporate brands in my case daryl Prale is as relevant is as visible as the vanilla soft brand is sometimes sometimes it's actually more visible they know there's daryl Prale. oh and he works for vanilla soft so do they have presence in social media what's their brand like are they contributing to the conversation? Because when I go to raise money or I go to be acquired or I go to do some acquiring or I want to go public, there's going to be due diligence done. And my valuation or my influence or my options will vary depending on the confidence they have in the CRO. Because at the end of the day, they actually don't hold the CEO accountable for revenue, even though we all know the CEO is the ultimate boss. They hold the CRO accountable for revenue. So I got to feel like this individual understands the game. Do they have reputation? So do they speak? Uh, are Are they participating in the community? Do they have reputation? Because that drives the hiring options and the recruitment options and the influence in other sales cycles. So do they have that? So sales and marketing, You know, reputation, do they understand the brand, the role of their brand, are they active in the community? Um, And finally, this is the hardest thing of all to measure, is what are their people skills? But i would go one more thing. So there's what are their people skills, and what are their abilities to weave together the right tech stack? It doesn't have to be them, obviously. To facilitate what they need to do because we have never been more dependent on technology than we are today so do they have people skills to manage the people to manage the conflict because there's going to be stress on our organization as you you know if you're firing on all cylinders there's a lot of stress and you know so do you have experience so that that doesn't tear us down and destroy us and then do you have the technology even if it's you know you don't have to done it firsthand but you understand the processes you understand what's possible And you can let your operations team figure out the minutiae, but you understand how we have to do all this. As you can see, as I've just described, this is a bitch of a position. Uh, And and that's why the CRO job is not for somebody who's 25 years old because you just don't have enough life experience yet.
2: Daryl, I'm so happy that we still have time to go into the final and the most exciting section of the podcast. And uh, just to give you an idea of how great this is, this section is equivalent to the final round of who wants to be a millionaire or the grand finale of the Academy Awards, uh, at least for I and Young. So are you ready for it, Daryl?
0: I am. I'm anxious. I have no idea what to expect. So let's do this. <laughs> sure.
2: So here's how it goes. I'll shoot probably uh, five short and quick rapid fire questions at you, but you don't have to race against time to answer them. This is uh, our own unique style of rapid fire questions. Okay. And uh, Yeah. Here's my first question, and I don't know why, but Yad thinks you will find this question really funny. Question number one. Is automated onboarding and nurturing good
0: or bad? (laughs) Fully automated onboarding and nurturing is bad. Partial automation is good. But ultimately, people buy and succeed from people. So you've got to have real people watching over the process and jumping in where necessary. Um, So how we've done it here at VanillaSoft is we've got a number of triggers that we have set up where we look for, you know, where things went wrong in the past. And we look to see, did it happen again? Did it happen again? Did it happen again? Um, In other words, imagine I lost my password. This is common. You sign up for a software, but you don't sign in right away. Two days later, you go to sign in, but you can't remember your password, and you reset your password. Okay, if they don't open that email up within an hour of requesting a reset, ding, 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 tell somebody real that they need to get on the phone and say, did you get it? If not, let me resolve that for you. Otherwise, they'll never log in and they'll never become a customer. So automate as much as you can, have human oversight, and 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 learn from your mistakes. When you screw up because it's too automated, either learn to get people involved sooner or learn to put triggers in place to detect those issues to tell you to get involved sooner. How's that for a non-answer?
2: <laughs> no, it was actually great. Awesome. Point taken. Um, question number two. As a CRO... What is another professional interpersonal relationship that is most critical to your success? Is it the CFO or the VP of sales, or is it
0: the chief HR or someone else? So I always tell people looking for, to become a CM, who want to be a CMO, you should be best friends with the head of HR, you should be best friends with accounting. As CRO, I would contend you need to be best friends with the CEO. That's one of the things that's changed since I've taken on the role here at CRO. Whereas I talked to my CEO, you know, I am will slack throughout the day or whatever, and I might talk to him once or twice a week. I probably talk to my CEO three or more times a day, live and in person, uh, keeping them in the loop, no surprises, getting their feedback, making sure they're, they're bought in, uh, sounding board. They're a safe sounding board. You can look stupid to your CEO and your CEO's okay. It's better to look stupid to him than I look stupid to my staff. So, as a CRO, I would contend your best friend needs to be your CEO. As a head of marketing, I would contend it needs to be finance and HR.
1: So, uh, Daryl, here's uh, question number three that we wanted to ask you. We feel that you know any company or uh, you know company doesn't need a, a CMO until they uh, reach, say, about a five-million era or something like that. So, here's what we wanted to ask you as Q3. You know, what's the right time for a company to bring in a CMO or a CRO?
0: I would agree. I, I, I think a CMO would be anywhere between five and 10 million ARR, uh, definitely, because now you're on the upward trajectory. Of course, if you want to play it safe, the safest would be 10 million, um, because that's a, just a magical number with all the investors and everything else. You're going to get seed round funding, et cetera, below that. But once you hit 10 million, your options go through the roof, and you need a CMO to help navigate that. It's a, it's a, it's a game changer. Uh, so that's the first part but between five and ten million. In other words, if you know that you're gonna hit 10 million in 18 months because you got the right hockey stick going on, then you could bring in a CMO at 7 million in anticipation of being ready before it hits 10 million. But you get the idea. 10 million drives everything. Uh for bringing a CRO, I would argue between 10 and 15 million. Between 10 and 15 million. The reason I'd argue that a little bit a uh, little later uh, it's because the stakes are changing. When you get to fifteen million, they're, they're dramatically changing from when they were at seven million. Expectations, investors, customers, uh, install base, it uh, scaling scaling is big, right? It's kind of you know zero to a million, and kind of you know one million to five million, five million to ten million. Now it's like ten to twenty five million, right? So that scaling part is where you really need the CRO.
1: Right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, here's question number four. What is the biggest shift in mindset that you have had once you moved from the CMO to a CRO? If you could name one big thing.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. Um, how much time do we have? The biggest shift in mindset from CMO to CRO. That's a great question. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think, yeah, I, it's, the bottom line is to trust my team. Trust my marketing team. Trust that I built a kick-ass team and I don't need to check everything. I don't need to check in. I can simply work on an exception basis. Okay, guys, what's the plan? And you're going to let me know if we're not proceeding to plan uh, or if you need a problem. Because especially in my case, it's becoming CRO, you know, clearly that's because the sales team needed more love. We replaced our former head of sales. So that's where my attention is all at, at right now. So it it really was letting go of the marketing day to day and trusting that the marketing team that I built a good team and they could and if I and I did such a great freaking job that they can go on autopilot because they already know what I expect of them. So that was the biggest change. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Even for this recording, I should have been at my weekly marketing staff meeting for this recording when this recording was scheduled. And instead I said, I'll take the recording. And I I said to my marketing team, hey guys, I have a recording with two amazing brilliant individuals and you're on your own. And I said, Take good notes, I'll read them later, and that's that's the change right there.
1: <laughs> wow, that's amazing! All right, so the final question is going to be much much uh, simpler, I guess. So, what is one a marketing or probably sales practice that you hated the most all through the years?
0: Oh, I hated explaining to board members every single marketing tactic I was doing when they had no understanding. Uh, I hated. Uh, explaining why I wasn't doing press releases on a regular basis because nobody read them. Uh, I hate it. Uh, I hate it. I hate it being hired for a marketing job, especially VP of marketing or a CMO, because they sucked at marketing. And then the minute they hire you, they start to tell you how to do marketing. And. <laughs> 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 and it was like you know, right? Yeah, and it's like okay, wait. And so, so I I learned over the years how to preempt that, which was in the interview process. And so I would actually start asking probing questions on that front, and I would ask them, okay. So when I take so you, so so I I'm here in this interview because you're not meeting your goals, right? Right. And and you told me the last head of marketing failed because they didn't do A, B, and C, right? Right. Great. Okay. Cool. So if I take on this job. Uh, are you going to measure me by the tactics? Are you going to measure me by the outcomes? Oh, uh, outcomes. Because let I me mean, know how else are they going to answer that question. Great. And do we have agreement that for me to hit those outcomes, I have a minimum of this budget and these resources? Uh, because if I, if you want those outcomes, you can't reduce the budget or the staffing. And if you do reduce the budget or staffing, then you're agreeing to re- to lower the outcomes. Are we in agreement? And asking all those questions, it's amazing how many I would walk away from and say, no, it's not a good fit for me. When you're young, you're desperate for the job because you want their title. When you're a little more established and a little more experienced, you learn that it's in your best interest often to ask the hard questions up front, risk offending them, getting through that stage and being happy, happy, happy because you're starting off in alignment. So that's, that's my answer, a little long-winded.
1: No, I'm loving it because you know uh, when I look across uh, the kind of um, say jobs listings and everywhere, uh, the the less and less I'm interested in any job role that I read because the mo- the first word I read is you know aggressive marketer. I'm like, no, not me. Right, <laughs> right.
0: That's the beauty of age. As you get comfortable with what you're good at, you know what you know where you can make an impact, uh, and and you sell and you qualify yourself out, which means the ones that you still qualify for it's going to be a good conversation. It's going to be awesome. And then you just want to make sure there's expectations. Because what I do in that same job interview process is, is if I ask those questions that I ask, and now I'm hired, and now they want to lower my staff, I go ba- or my or my budget, I'll go back to the CEO and I'll say, remember in the job interview I asked you this question? Yeah. And you said this? Yeah. Okay. So you want to lower my budget now? So what are we lowering on expectations? And if they say, well, well, I'm like, are you telling me that you you didn't? What you said in the interview... Doesn't apply because I left my last job because of what you said in that last interview. And and you watch them go, Well and and so it's a great negotiation tactic, but life is too short to not be happy doing what you're doing. So
1: right right absolutely all right so uh, we've come towards the end of uh, uh, the podcast today and you know we we love this entire conversation the amount of information that we covered i think i'll have to go back and listen at least two three times to get the full essence of it um, and if you had a parting message with our audience what would that be
0: follow me on linkedin how's that that's my, <laughs> that's my call to action follow me
1: Amazing, because you in fact answered the next question I was going to ask you. How can people connect with you if they wanted to ask you some questions or you know get get in touch with you? So you answered that as well.
0: There you go. LinkedIn, Twitter, email. Just Google Daryl Prale and and you'll see every single freaking thing. If you if you if you're stuck, go to my website darylprale and fill out the form and I'll get back to you.
1: Amazing. So thank you so much for uh, joining us, uh, Daryl. It's it's been an amazing conversation, and we look forward to staying in touch with you as well.
0: All right, you guys, you take care. I had a blast.
1: Thank you so much. And that's that for today's episode, guys. And until next episode, this is bye from
2: me, Yag. And this is bye from me, Manish. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you.